All right, if you would, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to start there. And um, uh, as I said before, uh, we've been doing with Back to the Basics, and really what we've been doing is kind of like going through the book of Romans, right? Uh, we start off in Romans chapters 1 through 3, really gives out, here's the gospel, uh, more so towards the very end, we find out that Jesus Christ actually died for us. He died for our sins and that we, through His faith, can have God's righteousness applied to us. Uh, and that's an amazing thing. But, of course, you start off with the bad news first. The fact that, that we do have a, a life that would be, well, not life, but we do have something that's eternal. That would be death that we have facing but through the, the propitiatory work that Jesus Christ did, we can actually have His righteousness applied to us. That's a wonderful thing. And then chapters 4 and 5 talks a little bit, a little bit more about how that imputation works. Uh, chapters 6, 7, and 8 talks about now that you have trusted in what Christ has done, here's your identification. Here's who you are because you're in Christ, and that completely changes everything in life if we A, know it, and B, actually believe it. And then Romans 9, 10, 11, we dealt with uh, the last little section that we dealt with. Uh, 9, 10, 11 tells us a little bit about what God's doing today during the dispensation of the grace of God. Um, now we're up into the part where we're looking at Romans 12 through 16, really. And it's talking about how does all those previous 11 chapters apply to everyday life. Now, that's the real issue. The Bible that we have in front of us isn't just for devotionals, and it's not just for uh, go read whatever you want. You know, we, uh, you know, the old joke: uh, the guy flipping through the Bible and and closes his eyes, throws his finger down, and says, uh, "Read the ver read the verse about uh, Judas going and hanging himself." He's like, "Well, I don't like that verse." And he does the same thing. He says, "What he does, do thou likewise, and and do it quickly." Like, well, I don't really like that either. So you can't you, just, you can't just treat the Bible as a pick me up every time. What happens is there's doctrine in this book that we have to know, part of Romans 6, know, reckon, and yield. And it's not just enough to know what the book says. We actually have to be able to say that we believe what this book actually says about us, and then we yield to that and say, I'm going to fashion my life based upon what the words on the page actually say. That's really what Romans 12 through 16 is dealing with, that application of the previous 11 chapters doctrine. And one of the ways that we've been dealing with that, looking at that, is the local church. All right, How that local church is designed to work together. Notice here in Ephesians chapter 4, this is what we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, let's start off here at verse, verse 12 just to get some reading and then, then we'll get going. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and acknowledge of the Son and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, 
from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Uh, we're thankful that uh, it's inspired. We're also thankful that it's been preserved uh, throughout the years that we can have it, we can handle it, we can study it. Uh, we can take these things that we learn, trust in them and them alone, and allow your word to be the final authority in all things, in all manner of life, uh, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, what's interesting is, right before this verse that we started reading, um, you look up at verse 11, and notice, so there's some things that takes place after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, uh, after he ascended. Notice in verse 11, and it says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, for years, every time I've heard that verse read, they never pause after that word some. It's always they gave, that he gave some apostles. Well, there's a comma there for a reason, right? And then it says, and, and they read it, and some prophets. So there were some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. But it's interesting, you know, he's going through and he's talking about uh, the gifts that he gave. And it says, and he gave some, comma, pause for a second, apostles. It's not like he's saying, okay, I'm giving some apostles. He's saying, I'm giving some this, this gift of being an apostle. Now, we've talked about and gone over those verses uh, before, and we talked about the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists that were working at that particular time. Um, and then we come down pastors and teachers there in Ephesians chapter 4. But here's the purpose. What, why did God give the church, the body of Christ, those positions is what? For the perfecting of the saints. That's the purpose of it. The reason that we meet here is for that purpose. Notice, for the perfecting of the saints, what do perfect saints do? By the way, hold your place there real quick. Um, go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, probably most everybody knows what we're, what we're getting ready to talk about. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of the local assembly? We talked about last week was what? The edification of one another, right? The building up of one another. Here, what's one of the things that he's talking about? It's for the perfecting of the saints. There's a purpose for us to gather, right? And it's not for snacks. It's always good to have snacks. It's not for food. It's always good to have food. Coffee, donuts, and stuff like that. The reason that we come together is for this purpose. Now, let's talk about what that means. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. By the way, let's stop there for real quick. When he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, what that means is the words that are written down are God-breathed. Now, you go to most churches and they'll say, yeah, we agree with that, that the original writings were inspired. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that leads to not just the originals. And one of the reasons you think about that, think about this. 
The original Ten Commandments, where are they? They were destroyed. Moses, coming down out of the mountain, looks down, sees everybody down there partying and having a good time, worshiping this golden calf, and he throws them down and breaks them. The original manuscript of the Ten Commandments, gone. What about the original manuscript of Jeremiah? The book of Jeremiah, gone. King goes in, cuts it up with a pen knife, throws it in a fire, original manuscript, gone. So one of the problems that you kind of run into is when you start talking about all Scripture giving me inspiration, what he's saying there is the words that are written down are God-breathed. The words were inspired, not the people. That's an interesting thing to take a look at because that's, that's one of those real issues that a lot of times we get in trouble with, with the people were inspired. So then somebody comes along and says, well, that means that that book was just written by a whole bunch of guys that just wanted to write stuff. Well, no. Those books, you know, Psalms tells us what? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So what he did is through inspiration made those words available to you and I through a book. So that when we read a book, we can understand some things. You know, you go back to Daniel and says, Daniel understood by the books that there were 70 years that's going to be determined upon his people. That they were going to be dealing with that Babylonian captivity. And he read that because he had two books of the Bible. In fact, he had more than that. But it's interesting because you look at that and it says all Scripture is given by inspiration. By the way, what's interesting about that is if you look at verse 15, this, this throws a monkey wrench in a lot of folks' things. Verse 15, and Paul's talking to Timothy here and he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy what? Scriptures. Question. Does Timothy have all the original manuscripts of the Old Testament and the New Testament that was written up at that time? In fact, he had a Greek translation of the, whole, of the Old Testament. That's interesting. Paul calls them Scripture. And he calls them Holy Scripture. And then he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, that brings up a whole other issue. But I want us to keep that in mind because when we start talking about perfecting, where does that perfecting come from? It's from this book. From the words on the page, right? Notice, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all Scripture is what? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. So there's four things that we're told that all Scripture is given for and is profitable for is doctrine. That's what we read out of that. That's what we're taught. Second is reproof, that we can read a verse and says, I'm misacting, if you will. I'm not acting appropriately, and I need to change my actions, and that verse tells me to change my actions. You know, you go over there to Ephesians, and Paul says what? Let him that stole steal no more, but go get a job so you can give money, right? So an action is, I don't steal, and I've got a verse that says, don't steal, but go get a job. So the way I change my action is I look at the verse and I see the verse and I say, I know that's what it says. I now believe that's true for myself and I'm going to appropriate that in my life and I'm no longer going to go steal. So that's how this book, and there's other ways we can do that, but that's just one that comes to mind. That's one of those things that we can look at our life and say, I see something in my life that put Christ on the cross that I can get rid of my life and I've got a verse that shows me how to do that.
Do you know what that is? That's perfecting. Not that we become sinless, and we'll see that in just a second. Continue on. For reproof, for correction. When, when we look at correction, he's talking about how to fix bad doctrine. We look at our life and we say, okay, I've believed. For instance, I grew up, uh, I've talked about this before, the way that I grew up, some of the things that I was taught when I was growing up, I've looked at the verses now as an adult, and I said, that's not what the verse says. So what I have to do is I have to change my thinking about that doctrine. And so what I do is I change what I think about that. That's what correction is. For instruction is righteous, for instruction in righteousness is here's how to live godly. There's verses that show us how to do that. You know, we talked about last week, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, that the word of God worketh effectually in them that what? believe the word of god will work in our lives if we believe the word of god and we've talked about before let the word of god do the work of god all we got to do is just believe what it says on the page now what's the end result of that paul well verse 17 that here's the purpose that the man of god may be what perfect now is he talking about sinless perfection no He's talking about being a mature adult. We are, as, as members of the church, the body of Christ, we are sons of God. And what God wants us to do is to be mature in how we act and how we live our life. You know, we talked about it again last week, 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Paul talks about, says, You were witnesses and God also, how holily and justly and un unblameably we behaved ourselves among you. And you think... Well, that seems kind of pompous. It's not because it's the Word of God is the issue. And he's saying a little bit later on, that's why he says the Word of God will produce the exact same thing in you that it does me when you believe it. The Word's on the page. So what do we have? That, here's the purpose. The man of God, notice the man of God, the adult. Not a son, but an adult. The man of God may be perfect. And he tells us what does it mean to be perfect? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the perfecting there is what? Being furnished. We have a complete book that we can believe because the author is the same one that saves us and is also the one that perfects us. And not only that, but we are thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We can read this ver we can read a verse and we can say that's true and I'm going to take that verse and I'm going to go live it this week. And we can change how we act and how we think every single day by proper intake of proper sound doctrine. And that's what that's the issue there. But here's the thing, go back to Ephesians 4. That's the purpose of the local assembly is to help one another in that. That's why we meet, to come together and to talk about who are you in Christ and 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 who am I in Christ and let's, re let's rejoice about that. And let's find out how we can, in this local group, do something about it. Right? Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the what? 
work of the ministry. So, who does the work of the ministry? The perfected saints. So, who does the work is perfected saints. People who actually know who they are in Christ, which is why it's really important to understand Romans 6, 7, and 8. Or, yeah, 6, 7, and 8. Because if you don't know who you are in Christ, you can't live who you are in Christ. And if you can't live who you are in Christ, then you can't perform the way God desires. You know, over in Ephesians chapter 2. Go there. We're right here. Go there real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So, the gift of God is salvation. How do you get it? By believing in this grace that He's already shown through that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we, by simple faith, trust what Christ did on the cross, and what we get is salvation. Our sin, gone. His righteousness implied to us. Verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's why it's not of works. It's interesting, at school all the time, uh, people will say something like, well, I'm going to hell. I'm like, okay, it's not based on what you think or what you say. You do something. It's not going to send you to hell. What sends you to hell is the fact that you're already a sinner and you're deserving of that. And if you've come to the point where you've trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you can't get out if you wanted to. You know, we talked about that on Wednesday night. <clears throat> Let's do this real quick. Get, uh, get Galatians chapter 4 and get uh, Matthew chapter 7. We're going through Matthew, and uh, it's really interesting. Um, this, is, this is one of those things that I always kind of, I've thought, well, this is really interesting. And I came across a couple verses one day, and I was like, well, that kind of settles that. Notice in Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> um, during the, the Sermon on the Mount, notice, I just want to bring this up again real quick. Notice in verse 23. Now, of course, in the context there, what Christ is doing, He's on the, he's on the mountain, and He's talking to uh, the folks there saying, here's what life is going to be like in the kingdom. Notice in verse 23. This is right after He says, those that do the will of the Father um, is going to have eternal life. And then you've got people saying, yeah, but... We prophesied in your name, and we did. We cast out devils, and we did all these wonderful works in, in your name. And verse 23, notice what he says. And then I will I profess unto them, what's those next four words? I never knew you. Right? Four worst words you could ever hear in, in, your, in your life. I never knew you. What's that word never mean? Not once have I known you. Now, this is a specific type of knowledge because does God know about everybody and all the families of the earth? Absolutely. You go over to Amos 3 and you got that. So this is something different. But I want you to notice something real quick. If he says, I never knew you, that means he never knew you at one point and then didn't know you, right? Does that make sense? Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. Now, Paul's talking to saved individuals here in Galatia. Um, notice in verse 9. But now, after that ye have known God, 
or rather what? Are known of God. So, question. If God's known you, can he ever tell you, I never knew you? Hmm. That means if you're known of God, he can never say, I never knew you. So if you're known of God, guess what? You're saved, sealed, and all the way to the end of time. If he says this to a person he's known, that makes him a liar, and he's not. That's interesting. To me, I find that extremely interesting. If you're known of God, he can never tell you, I never knew you. Otherwise, he can't say that word never. Words mean things. Words matter, right? That's one of those things that we talk about. Um, back over in Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we left, right? Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The whole idea with that is, the work that we do, it's not because we're performing something, it's because His Word is performing something in us. Galatians 2.20, it's not I, but Christ living in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 10, Paul says, Yet not I, but His grace that works in me. I labored more than they all. Talking about the apostles and all that came before Him. He says, I labored more than they all, yet not I, but it's God's grace that, it, that, that worked in and through me. It was His Word. It was, it was His life that was put on display. That's what a life of a perfected saint is. Notice, verse 10. Now, initial salvation. You can't do anything to get it. If you think you can, then you don't have it. Because if you think you can, then this verse right here, verse 8 and 9, is not true. And we've already discussed, God is not a liar. But notice in verse 10, For we, saved folks, are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Do you know what a perfected saint does? You can go and work, but it's not you doing it. It's God's Word working in you to produce that good work. Now, we've already talked about what good works are and things like that. You go over to Titus and you see some of those things. But notice this. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we... What's that next word? Should. Guess what? You have a choice to go do the work or not. If you do the work, praise the Lord. If you don't do the work, you need to go over to 2 Timothy 3.16 and change your thought process on what you're supposed to be doing, and then we go do that work. But he would never say that to us if we're saved, even if we don't do good works. You don't get saved by works. You don't stay saved by works. You don't show people that you are saved by good works. We get saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We do work by the life of Christ being put on display through us. And do we do that to show people or God? Who's the one that really matters? God. Notice, we have something that we should walk in those good works. Back over to Ephesians chapter 4. So you've got 
the, the, whole, the whole reason for the local assembly is what? Perfecting of saints. We talked about it last week. What do we do? You go evangelize to the, to the city. You get that city. God's, God's will is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You'll get saved people, and then we bring them to the knowledge of the truth. That's the perfecting. That we're completely and totally furnished. We talked about it before. Last week, we pointed it a bunch of times. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, right? 2.10 is, and ye are complete, where? In Him. To know your identity. You know, we've got one of the biggest issues that we, sh- we, we find in our country, especially right now, is people identify however they want to identify. That's one of the problems in the church. Oftentimes... Church, we don't, and this is one of the things I was raised, is you don't identify as a member of the church of the body of Christ. You identify as spiritual Israel, which isn't a scriptural thing anyway. But it's interesting because we're so mixed up with our identification. That's why we've got people today, men identifying as women, women identifying as men, whatever, identifying as, I don't know, a question mark, Right? But identification is important because what we have to do is we're either identified with Adam or we're identified with Christ. Where do you find that out? Well, it should be here at a local church. Our purpose is to go get those people that are in Adam, get them out of Adam, put them in Christ, and those that are in Christ, show them who they are in Christ to get them perfected. Notice, for the perfecting of the saints. What do perfected saints do for the work of the ministry? What is that for the edifying of the body of Christ? So what does that work really have to do with? Is edifying the body of Christ. Our end result should be this. To build each other up. Not tear each other down. But to build one another up to the edifying of the body of Christ. We talked about that a little bit last week as well. When, when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing here, we're working properly, the body of Christ will be, will be edified. Every little church out there that's doing what they're supposed to do, if they're doing this, then the whole body is edified. And notice, what do we do? Verse 14, and here we see this again. Um, well, let's, let's get verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Now, that, that phrase, the faith, that is a specific phrase that we have that we see that's from Paul. And he's talking about this, and you see that phrase in every one of his epistles. The faith, the faith, the faith. There is a body of doctrine that was delivered to him that will produce this. If we do that, notice, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Notice, verse 14, that, here's the purpose of all that, that we henceforth, which means from now on, that we henceforth be no more, what? Children. Do you know what he's saying? If you're perfected, how would you act as an adult son of God? 
what we're told to do as a child, we're, we're told, you can't, you can't have this. And here's reasons why. As an adult, we make that same decision based upon truth, based upon information, based upon really doctrine, approved, correction, instruction, righteousness. We look at a thing, what a child is told to do, an adult does on their own by making the decision themselves. And so then an adult would say, that's not who I am in Christ and I need to get rid of it. Whatever that is. And that's one of the things that we're here for as a local assembly to be able to do. That, verse 14, we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the way, there's a bunch out there. There's a bunch of crazy stuff out there that is partial truths, misunderstood, misappropriated, and sometimes it's, like, like I said, the stuff that I grew up in, I didn't know it was wrong until I actually got in the book and found out it was wrong. <laughs> I was just going based on what I was always told. And I was tossed to and fro. Have you ever noticed every once in a while, every few years or so, there's some new thing out there that runs through churches? Almost always. There's, it's a cycle. It seems like there's a cycle to that. But that's what that is. If you're not grounded, then what happens? Ooh, this is new. Ooh, this is new. This is new. Let's try this. The other three didn't work. Let's try this one. Do you know what doesn't mess up? Do you know what's always right? That book understood the way that God's designed it to be understood. And it can be understood. It's not a book that people just can't know and understand. It's a book that God has designed and put together and told us, here's how you go and study. And if you study it the way I tell you to, then you're going to be able to know some things. You're going to be able to make decisions in everyday life. We looked at the verse before. Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. Taking this book and studying it and actually taking that information and bringing it in so that we are, what? No more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. Who is the last person... Well, let's do it this way. Who is the very first person that you come to in Scripture that uses slight of hand or cunning craftiness? Satan. Genesis chapter 3. He comes into Eve and says what? Yea, hath God said? The very first person to show up with a new doctrine was Satan, and he his whole point started off with are you sure that's what the Bible says? Now, you've got to understand, it wasn't written down at the time, but God spoke directly to Adam and Eve. And Adam knew what God said. Adam knew, I'm not supposed to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew that. And so what Satan does, he comes in and plants that seed of doubt and says, are you sure this is what God said? Now, the problem there is, who's the attack? He attacks Eve. So then, because she did not fulfill what she was supposed to do, by the way, everybody always says, well, it's women's fault. No, it was Adam's fault because he didn't do his job as a husband. 
The husband is the spiritual leader of the household. That's his job. And Adam failed there. Eve's the one that he goes attacks because she's the one that doesn't have the information and that's Adam's fault. We've talked about that before. But what happens is Satan shows up and says, yea, hath God said? Paul even brings it up and says, you know, through, through his deceits, his, his, his wild, he, the way he works is wildly. And he says, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We know how Satan's worked. He's worked the same way all the years throughout the time is questioning the book that we have in front of us and sets up a secondary thing to say, this is just as authoritative as that. And that's exactly what he does. And he tweaks it just a little bit. What's interesting is, we've talked about that one before, the very first thing he does is he questions God's word, says, yea, hath God said, and then he misquotes what God actually said. What, what happens from that is Eve adds to what God said. She says what? Well, we can't eat it, neither shall we touch it. God never said anything about don't touch it. She added touch it. Then she says what? Lest we die. So she waters down what God actually said. She actually subtracts from what God said. Um, she leaves out that word freely. We may freely eat of all the fruit of the trees of all the other things except this one. So she subtracts from, adds to, and watered down God's word because of his sleight of hand. And then interesting thing is the very last thing there is Satan flat out denies exactly what God said. Thou shalt not surely die. He denies exactly what God said. The first time he quotes scripture, he misses it up. You know what's interesting is you go over to Matthew chapter 4 and he does the exact same thing. Satan misquotes Scripture to Christ. Then what he does is he subtracts from... <laughs> it's interesting, you go look at those and the part where it talks about his destruction he just conveniently forgets and doesn't bring up. So he actually subtracted from God's Word. And it's interesting because he's not, he's not changed. Throughout the history of, 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 of all eternity... Satan hasn't changed his devices at all. So that's why Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices. We know exactly how he works. He questions what God's doing, and then he sets up a false version of, of, to look like what God's doing. You know, we've talked about it before. When Moses goes before uh, the Pharaoh, and, and he has a staff, and he throws a staff down, and it turns into a snake, what does Janus and Jambres do? The exact same thing. When he turns the water into blood, what does Janus and Jambres do? The exact same thing. Looks just like what God did. So then, when we look around in the world and we see stuff that looks and sounds like biblical truth, we got to be careful because not always biblical truth. And the only way you know that is because the local church should be doing their job of perfecting saints to know some stuff so that when we come across something new, we can look at it objectively and say, this is wrong because of these verses. Not because I don't like it, not because I don't agree with it, but here's why this isn't true and here's all these verses that we have that we know that we can say, that's why this thing is wrong, so what do we do? We look at it and say, get rid of it, we're going to keep on moving and perfecting each other, working together to do that. 
that's part of that's part of what we do. Continue on in Ephesians four, verse fifteen. How do we how do we do the opposite of what they're doing? Notice, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Notice, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. We talked about that last week, like about the puzzle pieces, right? Certain puzzle pieces, you know, they're going to fit. Not just that, fitly joined together. Notice, the other thing too, you know, I grew up, we, we built houses and things like that. And, you know, if you're in a hurry, your joints aren't always fitly framed together. They're not. You try to cut it 45 and 45 and make sure that it makes a 90 in the corner, Sometimes the board's not straight. Your 45's right and your 45's right, but the boards aren't straight, so you're not going to get it fitly framed together and fitly joined together, but the whole body is. And compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Now, we talked last time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we, we looked at, you know, we all have members on our body, but the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Ear can't say to the hand, I don't need you, right? Everything on this body, we have to work together going in the same direction. That's the same way the church, the body of Christ should be. <coughs> we, look at, we look at what's going on around the world and what has become apparent, specifically here in the last couple of years, is that the church has failed its job and we can see that. You look out. You look out at what's going on, and it's because a lot of this wasn't really going on. We've got programs. We've got whatever. We've got this. We got that. What about scripture? Don't worry about it. You won't need it. Just show up. We'll tell you something good about yourself for thirty minutes, and then you can go home and feel good about yourself for the next week. That's not what scripture. That's not what the local assembly is about. Local assembly is to build each other up with love and perfect. There's a goal to it. It's not to have every seat filled. The goal is to have those seats that are filled perfected. And that's one of those things that we look at. Notice, which every joint supplieth. Every, every person that shows up has something to do with every other person that's there. We're not on an island. According to, and here's the best part, the effectual working in the measure of every part. By the way, what's that effectual working? That's 1 Thessalonians 2.13. The Word of God, which, was, which will what? Effectually work in you that believe. The way that the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, it's based on according to the effectual working of the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The edifying is the issue. That's the whole purpose of us being here is to know who we are in Christ and rejoice together in who we are in Christ. And if we go through something in life, like we talked about last week, if we go through something, we can actually grieve with one another. But when something great happens, we can also rejoice with one another. But here's the, here's the thing. 
our position of who we are in Christ doesn't change whether something's good or whether something's bad. A lot of times, me growing up, I was told if something bad's happening, it's because you're not doing something right. Well, when I found out that God is no longer going to hold those things against me, He's not going to beat me down every time I skip a step. But I can get back in this book. I can get back in the Bible and I can actually read it and study it. And what we do here is exactly that. Now, one of the things that we do is, as we go through here, we're looking at this, the edifying of itself in love. That's this right here, what we're doing, what we're designed to do, what we're asked to do. Um, real quick, let's go take a look at some other verses. Go get uh, Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. I want us to see a couple things before we finish up. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, and of course, like I said, this is kind of what we're doing is going through here and saying, here's how this stuff actually works. Notice, let's start off in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. So how do we do that? It's according to truth, based on the truth. This is how, this is how we do. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil... Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Now again, that goes back to the idea that we talked about last week. We're all equal in the body of Christ, but I want to treat you as if you're better than me, and then you should treat me as if I'm better than you, even though we're all equal. Saying that I'm going to esteem you better than myself. That's this. Notice, jump over to chapter 14. And we see this show up. Romans 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the flesh, receive ye. So, so if somebody's weak, weak in the faith, my bad. If, If somebody's weak in the faith, they're still in the process of being perfected, right? That's perfecting. It's a process. We're all working on it together. But this person is what? He's weak in the faith. What do we do? Receive them. But not to doubtful disputation. We don't want to, re- we don't want to bring somebody in that disagrees and say, um, we're just going to be here to beat you over the head with what we believe and why you're wrong. Because what that's going to do is it's going to produce doubtful disputation it's going to produce doubt in that person and what we need to do is continue on notice and he gives us some examples here and it's really interesting because when you take these examples and apply it to other stuff you end up sometimes getting in trouble with people which i did a couple years ago it is what it is this is how you do this though notice in verse two for one believeth that he may eat all things And I want you to notice here what Paul says. Another who is weak 
Edith Erbs. Now, you take that and you say, okay, can I go back in Scripture and find a time where we were told by God to only eat herbs? Yeah. Somebody can come along and say, I believe what God's Word says and I'm only going to eat herbs. What does that verse just tell us about that person? They're what? They're weak in the faith. Are they believing Scripture? Yeah. The verse right there says, I can eat herbs. I don't have to eat anything else but herbs because we can go and find it in Scripture. But are they being dispensational? No. So we talk all the time, being scriptural and being dispensational are two different things. I can go read a verse and says, I want to go build an ark because I believe this verse tells me to go build an ark. Are you believing Scripture? Yes. Are you being dispensational? No. Notice, he says what? For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Don't just despise him and say, I'm done with you, I'm not going to pay attention to you. Notice, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God received him. What's interesting there is, guess what? The person that eats herbs that's weak, the person that eats all things that's strong, guess what? They're both in Christ. How should they treat each other? As if they're in Christ. I'm not going to put you down because you only eat herbs, and I'm not going to judge you and say you're going to go to hell because you eat meats. But what do they do? They look at each other and say, I'm going to esteem you better than myself, and I'm going to esteem you better than myself. And I'm not going to go through that. Notice, keep on going. <clears throat> Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Who's the real issue there is God. What do we do? We receive them. Not to put them down or to, to beat them down and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But do you know what happens? The more they study, they're going to start finding out, hey, I don't have to only eat herbs. I can eat other things as well. And what happens is they start learning and then they're being perfected. Notice, <clears throat> well, there's one more example here that I want to see because he, he gives us these and we can take these. Notice in verse 5, One man esteemeth one day above another, another ever uh, esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eat to the Lord, for he giveth thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. He's talking about saved individuals. One's weak, one's strong, but don't let that be the thing that divides you up and says, okay, what we need to do is those that are strong, we're to come along and help those that are weak. Don't put them down in judgment and stuff like that, but teach them the scriptures. Why? Because we're all the Lord's. Notice, he brings up the issue of standing before the judgment seat of Christ in verse 10. <clears throat> Drop down to verse 19. Here's the real issue that we keep seeing over and over again. 
Verse 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may what? Edify another. We look for the opportunities. If we're the stronger person in that, sometimes it's hard to acknowledge that we're the weaker person. (laughs) That's pride. That's the one that got Satan. That's pride to say, I'm strong even though we know we're not. So what, what we do is we still come together even if we don't believe the same things, but we're all here for this one purpose. And as long as we all have this one thing in, in, in order and in mind to perfect one another, to bring each other up and to edify one another, then we're doing what we're supposed to do. And if somebody says or teaches something that's incorrect, we can all talk about that and go on from there. But the whole issue is, is what? We're doing this work to edify. Uh, we become perfect saints, not sinless perfection, but we become mature adults and we can discern that which is good and that which is bad and deal with it accordingly. All right. Now, that brings us up to responsibilities of the local assembly, and we'll start talking about that next week, um, individual responsibilities uh, as we go through there. So <clears throat> what I would say is uh, before next week, uh, read 1 Timothy 3 uh, and the book of Titus. Uh, Titus is a pretty quick study, a uh, pretty quick read. Um, we went through Titus a few years ago. Um, it took us longer to go through it than reading it will, so... Uh, so I'll give you some homework. First Timothy 3 and Titus. So read through those, um, and then we'll continue on with that next week. Uh, questions?